going through basic Christian beliefs, and uh, today we're talking about uh, heaven. Last week we talked about hell. I made sure that the guys cranked up the temperature an extra 10 degrees for that one, and uh, but we got through it, so now we're going we're to be preaching about a place called heaven. And, uh, and uh, it's probably, probably something we wouldn't be talking about if it wasn't for King Jesus. And, uh, and so we give him all the glory. Before we go to the Lord in prayer, I just want to read two passages. One from Psalm 34, verse 18. The Lord is near to those who have a broken heart and save such as have a contrite spirit. And uh, uh, the the more we come into God's holiness, the more we see our own sinfulness, our own unworthiness, and uh, our own need for the Lord. And in Psalm 66, the second half of verse 2, but on this one will I look, the Lord is speaking, on this one will I look, on him who is poor and of a contrite spirit and who trembles at my word. And it's... It's my prayer, everyone here, including myself, that we come to God with a broken heart. That we come to God with a contrite spirit. And that when we come into the presence of God, like Peter who said, get away from me, Lord, for I'm a a sinful man. It's my prayer that when we come into the presence of God, we tremble at his word. So don't, don't... you don't forget, I mean, he's got, he's got like a short half Italian, half Portuguese guy who's going to be screaming from the pulpit for another hour or so. And, you know, you might be looking at your watch and thinking about the football game or something. But, um, you know, just keep in mind, it's the word of God. That's being proclaimed. And uh, we don't have a lot to offer here this year. We've got a nicer building than we used to have. I mean, you don't even have to look at basketball nets and, and stuff like that. But um, And the heat actually works here. But, uh, but we don't have much to offer. All we got to offer is we're going we're gonna to pray. We're going to worship God, spirit and truth. And we're going to try to preach his word. And, um, and so let, let's pray that God anoints me to preach his word. You know, we all slam fake news, but I'll tell you, before I came to Jesus, boy, did I shoot the baloney. I was a, I was a really good at fake news. And uh, I don't want to do that anymore. I want to preach God's truth. And um, so let's, uh, so it's a, it's, if you tremble at God's word, it's for a fallible person to preach God's, try to preach God's infallible work. We need the Holy Spirit, so... So let's go to the Lord in a word of prayer. Father, in Jesus' precious name, I just pray that as we go over basic Christian beliefs, that you would remind us of what we believe as Christians, what separates us from others. That you would remind us that we belong to you. That, we rem- that you would remind us that those who trust in you from the heart for salvation that we are heaven-bound, and heaven is a place that you won for us, a place we could never win for ourselves. So today, Lord, I pray that your word would be proclaimed, not the faulty wisdom of man. Lord, you know I'm, I'm fallible. The only one human being who walked this earth who was infallible, and that was your son. And so I pray, Lord, you cancel the man. 
I pray you anoint me with your spirit to proclaim your truth. So people who are here today, they came to hear your truth, not, not the faulty wisdom of man. So I pray, Lord, that you'd get me out of the way and your truth would be proclaimed and you'd open hearts and minds, including my own, to receive truth from your word. We've had it so comfortable here in America. People from third world countries would think they went to heaven if they lived in America. But things are going down. Things are getting rougher here. So may we be heavenly-minded people. May we remember that no matter how bad things get, that you don't forsake the righteous. You don't forsake your children. The day will come when we'll be with your son, the Lord Jesus, forever and ever. In Jesus' precious name we pray, amen. So today we're going to talk about heaven. Um, You know, Psalm 23, King David said, Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The guy knew he was heaven-bound because he knew the Lord is his shepherd. Um, John 14, look at John 14, verses 1 to 3. Jesus is talking to his disciples. John chapter 14, 1 to 3. This is the night he was betrayed, okay? He's going to be leaving them. He said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And uh, you know, if I had to define heaven, I would define it as, as this. Heaven is being with the triune God, being with God the Father, being with Jesus and God the Holy Spirit, being with the triune God in his full fellowshipping presence forever and ever. And I had that debate with that atheist. I didn't even know the guy was an atheist when he first first uh, did the interview. I agreed to do an internet interview. And then he was like, God is so evil because he sends people to hell. And then later on in the interview, he asked me to describe what hell, what heaven is like. And I told him, it's a place where you serve God and worship the Lord Jesus forever and ever and ever. And he said, I'd hate to go there. And I said, well, apparently God doesn't send you there. You're sending yourself to hell then. And, um, and so we got to understand, going to heaven means you're going to be with Jesus in uninterrupted fellowship forever and ever and ever. Now, there's a lot of people, hell is a place where people try to find joy apart from God. But apart from God, there is no joy. And uh, so, you know, we come to God with a broken heart. It gives us joy. We come to God with a contrite spirit, and he gives us hope. We come to God hellbound, and he gives us heaven. And so let's take a look at what a few things that the Bible teaches about heaven. Uh, look at Matthew 7. 
There's a lot of people that just go around telling people everybody's going to heaven. So you don't have to live like Corey Tamboom and dedicating your life to serving Jesus and trusting him for salvation and obeying his word. You don't have to live like that. You can live like Adolf Hitler and you're still going to heaven. And uh, that's not what the Bible says. Uh, Jesus says in Matthew 7, verses 13 and 14, Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it. Because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life. And there are few who find it. So Jesus tells us, look, there's a wide gate and most people are going through it, and that leads to hell. And there's a narrow gate, few people find it, and that leads to heaven. So this idea, everybody's going to heaven? No, no. We're hellbound. It's where we deserve to go, to the eternal lake of fire. But it's only through Jesus that we are saved. So not everybody's going to heaven. Uh, John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. So I don't, I mean, I don't, I don't care if somebody's presenting this way to heaven, that way to heaven, whatever. Look, hey, it's only through Jesus. If you're not trusting in Jesus alone for salvation, it's not Jesus plus something else. Jesus plus my good works. Jesus plus Buddha. Jesus plus a little bit of Freudian psychology, whatever. No, it's not Jesus plus something else. You got to trust in the true Jesus of the Bible alone for salvation, and that alone is where salvation is. Acts four twelve says there's, says there's no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. And so, uh, you know, people say, well, well, but what about people who never heard the gospel and this and that, blah blah. blah. Look, through God revealing Himself through creation, revealing His existence, and then through our conscience revealing God's moral laws. And revealing to us that we're guilty, we have guilty consciences, we're fallen. God draws us, okay? But when God draws mankind, He doesn't draw them to Buddha, okay? He doesn't draw them to Confucius. He doesn't draw them to Allah or Muhammad. When God draws them, He draws them to a babe in a manger. Like the wise men, because they were out of the manger at that point, but God drew them to Bethlehem, okay? And, um, and so I don't care where people are anywhere in the world, if they're seeking the true God, because God is drawing them and they respond positively to that, God will get the gospel message to them. Usually uh, it's through missionaries, but not everyone gets to heaven. Jesus is the only way to be saved. Okay, I'm putting all my, my eggs in that one basket. I don't know about you. I hope you, most, I know most of you, and I think most of you are doing the same. You've got to put all your eggs in the Jesus basket. I remember when Jesus preached in John chapter 6, got to eat his flesh and drink his blood to receive eternal life. He was speaking metaphorically about coming to him and believing in him. John 6, 35, 5,000 people walked away. And then Jesus turned to the apostles and said, you guys want to leave too? And Peter's bummed out because they just had a mega church and now they're back down to 12. And, one, and one's a traitor. And, um, but apparently Jesus doesn't, uh, doesn't want followers who follow him for the wrong reason. Okay? 
We come here to glorify King Jesus and him alone. But, uh, but Jesus asked the apostles, you guys want to leave too? And Peter said, where are we going to go? We come to believe that you are the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God, and that you have the words of eternal life. The day's going to come for us spoiled Americans. We're going to be battered. We're going to be beaten. We're going to lose our jobs. They're going to want to lock us up. We're going to have to worship in secret. And the evil one's going to whisper in our ear and they're going to tempt us. Leave, leave Christianity. Go somewhere else. And we got to respond. Where am I going to go? I've come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah. It's the son of God. It's God become a man. That Jesus is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Peter, Paul, and John. I'm putting all my eggs in the Jesus basket. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. And you might be sitting there thinking, I've been a Christian all my life, whatever. So that's a no-brainer, Pastor Phil. Well, Took me 21 years to get, have the blinders taken off and figure that out. Took me 21 years to see my need for Jesus. And, uh, and it's not like, I wish I could say, man, I was really stupid for the first 21 years of my life, but then I got saved. But that's not the whole story. I was really stupid the first 21 years of my life, then I got saved. And God is, what would you say, that these stupidfying me since then? I mean, it's still... It's still at times. That's why I get terrified to get behind a pulpit, not because I'm embarrassed to speak in front of people or that's a piece of cake. I could care less, but but because it's the word of God. The people don't scare me. The message scares me. We got to tremble at God's word. But uh, there's a whole lot of people. Oh, everybody's going to heaven. Yeah, well, uh, I think you're wrong. You need Jesus. Jesus is the only way to be saved. We've got to trust in him alone for salvation. Now, when a believer dies, his or her spirit, they continue to have conscious existence, but his or her spirit go immediately into God's presence, okay? Um, your body, you know, starts rotting in the grave, or if you get cremated, it gets all burnt up and turned into ashes, kind of speeds up the process quite a bit. Um, but when a believer dies, his or her spirit goes in, in, immediately into God's presence, and we continue to have conscious existence. Look at 2 Corinthians 5 8. 2 Corinthians 5 8. Paul says this. We are confident, yes, well-pleased, rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. So if you died right now, your spirit, you know, James said, just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. You know, true saving faith produces good works, okay? You got to examine yourself to see if you're in Christ. But, but the fact of the matter is when your spirit leaves the body, that's the biblical definition of physical death. Okay, and if you're a believer, your spirit goes immediately into God's presence. If you're a non-believer, you go to a temporary place of torment called Hades. 
awaiting the final judgment, the great white throne judgment, after Jesus reigns on earth for a thousand years, and then your name is found to not be in the Lamb's Book of Life, and then you're thrown into the eternal lake of fire where you will have eternal conscious torment forever and ever and ever. Um, but when a believer dies, his or her spirit goes immediately into God's presence. So Paul could say, prefer rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. There, there's times there's times I'm having a good time. Like I'm, I'm, I'm doing well spiritually, not always. And I'm just, I'm alone. I'm just singing praises to the Lord and I'm belting it out. And I only do that when I'm alone because I want to continue to have friends. And, um, but I'm just, I could be like, I could work late at, at school and no, every, nobody's around. Every once in a while, I think nobody's around and somebody's around. I came out when I got back into box and I felt like a little boy again. And, and, um, I came out of my room. It was real early. I went to work real early. It was real dark out. And so I started shadow boxing. I had looked around. I didn't see anybody. And I started shadow boxing. I looked up and there's one of the, one of the lady teachers looking out the window from the teacher's lounge. So I was just like, ah, oh, man. Look like a fool, but there's sometimes I'm just like I'm alone and I'm just belting it out, just me and just me and King Jesus. And I, I I tell him, I say, Lord, you know, in those moments, they don't come a lot too, but in those moments I say, Lord, I don't want to be here anymore. I want to be with you, Lord. I want to be with you. And then I think of my wife. And I think of my little grandson back there. And, uh, and I think of our church, I think of my students, and then I say, okay, Lord, I'll just, you know, I wake up each morning, you let me know what you want me to do, who you want me to be. And um, and Paul, with Paul, I mean, I, that that's me once in a while. That was Paul all the time, and man. I mean, it, that dude was in love with the Lord. Look at Philippians chapter 1, Philippians chapter 1. In verses 21 to 24, Philippians 1, 21 to 24, Paul says, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. I don't, you know, I, I, I got to be having a good day for me to say, man, for me to live is Christ. It's all about Jesus. It's not me living. It's Jesus living through me. Okay. If that was like a once a month deal for me, I think I'd be feeling pretty good. Paul, that was just, that was 24-7. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. But if I live on in the flesh, he's in prison, and he doesn't know if they're going to kill him or not, all right? But if I live on in the, fresh, in the flesh, this will mean fruit from my labor, yet what I shall choose I cannot tell. For I am hard-pressed between the two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. And so, Paul, we've got to have that attitude where it's like, you know what? If it's just all about me, Lord, I want to be with you right now. You know? I'm, I'm, I'm tired of this world. Um, I'm tired of the, the garbage, the false idols, the things I used to worship, the things other people do worship. I'm tired of all the wickedness. I'm tired of the lies. I'm tired of the hypocrisy. And I just want to be with you, Lord Jesus. And um, 
But then we got to think about, okay, if God's leaving me on earth, why? Who does he want me to reach today? Who does he want me to reach tomorrow? And Paul said, you know what? I'm in Rome. I'm in prison. Might, I'm not even sure if he's in this, this, during his Roman imprisonment or if it was in, um, in Caesarea Maritime. He was one of the two when he was imprisoned by the Romans. And, uh, and he's thinking, you know, they might kill me. And you know what? That's what I prefer. Paul was probably tired and weird. The two years he spent in prison, God probably gave him a pretty good rest because that guy was busy. And sometimes you're serving Jesus and uh, you're, you're trying to be all he called you to be and you get tired. You get weary. And you say, you know, Lord, uh, I've fallen on my face a few times. I've, I've had some great victories all done by your power for your glory. I'm kind of weary, Lord. It'd be nice if you just kind of take me home now. I'd like you to take me home now. And that's what Paul was saying. And then he thought, but the Philippians need me. All those people throughout the Roman Empire that Paul led to Christ, they need me, Paul thought. And that's the way we got to be. We got to say, look, for me to live is Jesus. It's not about Phil Fernandez anymore. It's about Jesus. Okay? And by, by the way, you want to be popular? Don't take this advice. Because we got a world that hates Jesus. If you're trusting in Jesus for salvation, you've taken your stand, and now you stick to it, and you let the world know, I belong to King Jesus. And so for me to live is Christ, and to die is gain at the same time if I wake up in the morning and i got something else to do. How many people here remember Lucky Leslie? Okay, he was a biker, one of, one of the first guys to, be, to join Christ's disciples, disciples, which is actually an outlaw biker, Christian biker gang. If you, You're considered an outlaw biker if you just don't register with the American Motorcycle Association. And so if you do register then the outlaw bikers don't want don't respect you. So there had to be former outlaw bikers come to Christ and then start Christ's disciples. And so he was one of them. And I remember when he was dying of cancer and I'd go to visit him and um, he'd be like fast asleep sometimes, hooked up to all tubes and stuff. And, and then his eyes would slowly open. And then he'd, with all the strength that he had, he'd go like that and say, you know, bummer, I'm still here. I was hoping to wake up in heaven. And then he'd say, I guess God's got something for me to do today. And, uh, I'd, I'd ask for a show of hands, but it would only tell me who's not paying attention, so I'm not going to do it. I was going to ask for a show of hands how many people woke up this morning. You know, maybe there's one or two guys who never went to sleep. I don't know. But if you woke up this morning, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, wants to use you through his power and for his glory he wants to use you to reach people and it might just be planting seed you know 
It's, it's, I mean, we have depersonalized ourselves. We're so far away from the king of God that, um, you know, I mean, Hillary Clinton used to say it takes a village to raise a child. I'd agree with that if it was an extended family or a church. She's talking about the government. Government's not a village. Um, but we live in a day and age. Things are so bad in America, it takes a village to lead somebody to Christ. About 20 years ago, I stopped bragging about the people that I led to Christ. Because I realized if I lead a guy to Christ, that means he's probably got two grandmas who've been praying for him longer, longer than I've been alive. He's got a family. He's got friends that have been witnessing to him. He's got other people that, you know, and then God, the Holy Spirit's been working on him. But, um, but whatever the case, if you're still here on earth, you're still standing, and you're on a mission from the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. If you don't think that's important, I'm telling you, that's the most important thing. And, um, a lot of people look down on us and laugh and think we're irrelevant. But Paul could say, look, Lord, I'd rather be with you right now. I'm getting tired of this world. But if you want me to stick around, I know there's people that you want me to minister to. And um, we got to have that same uh, attitude. So when a believer dies... We, we've had some godly people, Harry Armstrong and and um, so many godly people throughout the years and Ruth and Bill Grammert. And, you know, we, we've had people in this church that I thought if that person, when that person dies, this church dies. There's no way we're going to survive without that warrior for Christ. And then the church continues to march on as the kingdom of God continues to march on. And... Um, this church is bigger than I could die tomorrow. And uh, uh, Trinity Bible Fellowship will continue. You just trust in Jesus. Now, Kai, you better stick around. I, I don't know. I don't know how we could replace Kai and everything she does. But uh, but, uh, but whatever the case, um, it's bigger than any person. we got to live for Jesus. And so if a believer dies, his or her spirit immediately goes into God's presence you know, some people say, well, that's it's a spiritual realm, and our spirits will be going there. But Jesus is there bodily. Enoch and Elijah were taken there bodily. So I actually think in some way, shape, or form, it's a physical place. Is it in the universe, or is it somewhere another dimension? From yeah, I don't know. I don't know. And uh, But I know there's a place. where believers will someday go and there'll be no more pain, no more sorrow, no more weeping, and we'll be with King Jesus forever and ever. Now, uh, so let's say you died today, your spirit goes to be with the Lord, uh, and you have conscious existence and joy with the Lord, um, and your body rots in the grave, okay? However, when Jesus returns, then our mortal bodies will be raised, they'll be glorified, and they'll be raised to be immortal bodies, bodies incapable of dying. It'll be like Jesus' resurrection 
body. So look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the Apostle Paul talks about how Jesus bodily rose from the dead and that the day's going to come when he's going to raise us, raise our bodies too. Now, not everybody's going to die. Some, pe- some believers are going to be alive when Jesus returns and their mortal bodies will be changed in twinkling of an eye and take on immortality and meet the Lord in the air as he returns. And so 1 Corinthians 15, verses 42 to 44, so also is the resurrection of the dead. The body is sown, it's buried in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. Uh, It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown or it is buried a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. So the natural body, it's a, it's a soulish body, a soma uh, sukikan, soma sukikan. It's a soulish body is what it, what it is. So right now we have soulish bodies. Somehow our bodies are controlled by our souls, okay, that we're, in which we have the intellect and we have consciousness of ourselves and others and our surroundings. But when, when we are raised by Christ, we're going to have a, a soma pneumaticon, uh, a spiritual or supernatural body. It'll be like Jesus's resurrection body where we could travel at the speed of thought. He could be at the father's right hand. He wants to be in the upper room with the apostles. He thinks I want to be there. Boom. He's there. Okay. But it's still a body and it's still, it's the body in which you are sown. It is sown. It is buried. It is raised same body, but it's been radically transformed. Okay. If you got it eaten by, was it, uh, is it in back today? It was on Facebook. My wife was telling me, showed me a picture of this really big cougar running around in some neighborhood out there. And, um, um, but if you got eaten by a pack of wolves, okay, and your body's distributed among them, you know, people act like, you know, how is God going to raise that? Look, look, he created, just leave that to him. Don't worry about it. He created the entire universe, okay? I don't care how he puts my body back together. I just care that he puts my body back together. And then I want him to glorify it too. You know, Pat's got the rotator cuff, shoulder thing. I got a knee going on right now. Next month, the knee will be great. It'll be my back next month. And uh, just a revolving, you know, we're just falling apart, okay? Um, So I don't know how God's going to raise my mortal body to immortality, but he's going to do it. His word says so. Uh, Look at 1 Corinthians 15, 50 to 54. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. Not all of us are going to die, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruption has put on incorruption and this mortal has put on immortality, 
Then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. So you, you realize if you died right now and your spirit went to be with the Lord and you had conscious existence in heaven, you still would not be glorified yet. You would still be waiting for God to finish the work that he started in you when you first got saved because that work is going to include fixing your body, not just fixing you spiritually, but fixing your body. That's why in Romans 8, Romans chapter 8, Paul could say that we're already adopted as sons spiritually, but we still await the adoption of our bodies when the Lord Jesus uh, returns. And so, uh, and so right now, if you die right now, your spirit would go to be with the Lord. You'd be in heaven with, with conscious existence, worshiping Jesus. And, uh, but then when Jesus returns, your body will be raised on the last day and will join with your spirit as Jesus returns, okay? And so we'll be raised with immortal bodies when Jesus returns. Now, we already looked at that Revelation chapter 20 passage. Oh, and by the way, those who are alive, as I said, those who are alive and don't die, some people are not even going to die. The last trumpet's going to blast, and they somehow survived the tribulation, didn't take the mark of the beast, and their, their bodies will be changed in the twinkling of an eye and will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air at the second coming uh, of, of Christ. So uh, then Revelation chapter 20 says that will be the thousand-year reign of Christ on earth. We'll have our resurrected, glorified bodies and we will reign with Jesus for a thousand years. That's when Jesus will shepherd the nations with an iron rod. Satan will be chained up in the abyss, uh, the bottomless pit during that thousand years. People act like Satan's chained up already. No, uh, we'll see when we, when we talk about angels and, and demons and, uh, and Satan the next few weeks, uh, we'll see that there are chained and unchained fallen angels. Satan and many of his angels are not chained. They still have access into heaven. Just read Job chapters 1 and 2. Take God's word for what it says. Um, look at Zach, the book of Zechariah, where Satan goes to heaven and accuses uh, Joshua the high priest and Zerubbabel the governor. And Revelation 12 says, See, presently uh, Satan accuses the brethren day and night before God's throne room, but... Three and a half years before Jesus returns, Michael the archangel and his angels will defeat Satan and his angels and cast them out of heaven for good. And then it's woe to the earth and the sea, for the devil has come down to you, uh, having great wrath, knowing that he has only a short time. And Satan will unleash his wrath uh, upon the earth for three and a half years before Jesus uh, returns. Uh, so there are most... Fallen angels apparently still roam freely. Some fallen angels go, have gone too far and are chained up in the abyss. They might be the guys that are released, the locusts of Revelation chapter 9. Because you do a study on the abyss. I mean, in Luke chapter 8, um, the guy that was possessed by many demons said, my name is Legion, for we are many. The demons begged Jesus not to throw them into the abyss. And so Jesus instead threw them into the swine. The swine ran off the, the cliff and drowned. Um, but, uh, but 
But whatever the case, so we'll talk about the abyss later. It's not a place where humans go, but there's going to be locusts released from the abyss. You read Revelation chapter 9, they're not locusts. They're, it's, locusts is a, a symbolic term for them. And, um, and so uh, if you die before Jesus comes back, your spirit goes to be with the Lord, and then you await for when Jesus is going to return, your body gets raised. If you live until Jesus comes back, you're going to be changed without dying in the twinkling of an eye and join the Lord. But we believe in the resurrection. By the way, not only the resurrection of the spiritually living, but also the resurrection of the spiritually dead, that will occur at the great white throne judgment after Jesus reigns for a thousand years. So non-believers will receive resurrection bodies for the purpose of eternal suffering. Eternal torment. I don't even want to think about that, to be honest with you. And, um, but, um, I mean, you want, you want to do something nice today, tomorrow, this week? Take a risk. Talk to people about Jesus. Okay? Hopefully, when we go to heaven, we won't be going to heaven alone. Hopefully, we'll be bringing a few people with us. And, uh, but, uh, uh, but eventually, there's going to be a new heavens and new earth after. So look at Revelation chapter 21. Revelation chapter 21. Starting at verse 1. And so this is after Jesus has returned. He throws the Antichrist and the false prophet into the eternal lake of fire. They're being tormented day and night, forever and ever. He reigns on earth for a thousand years. Satan is bound and Satan gets released, has one final revolt against Jesus. Uh, the word of God defeats them. Uh, Satan gets, gets thrown into the lake of fire. Then there's the great white throne judgment. Anyone's name not found in the Lamb's book of life is cast into the lake of fire. And so after the thousand-year reign of Christ, uh, then chapter 21, starting at verse 1. Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also, there was no more sea. You know, uh, we, we read that. You know, do we tremble at God's word? The Bible says the first heaven and the, and the first earth are going to pass away. Isn't that kind of a little bit scary? If uh, it's like, okay, well, the earth is going to pass away. It's like, well, what about me? I need the earth. You know what? In the end, you don't need the earth. You need Jesus. Hey, Jesus said, man does not live on bread alone, but in every word, every utterance of the mouth of God. But don't, don't get too attached to this earth. There's going to be a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also, there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem. I think some manuscripts read New Jersey. No, they don't. Then I saw... I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them. And they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. 
and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There should be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There should be no more pain for the former things that passed away. I've lived a very, in, in many regards, I've lived a very, very sheltered life. Um, even growing up in New Jersey, Essex County, New Jersey, me and my brother were sheltered from so much evil potential just because of the character of my dad. And um, and so, uh, and I, I, my mom died in the year 2000. My dad died in 2009. So I didn't become an orphan until I was 49 years old. So when I see, you know, I meet guys and gals and their parents died when they were young. I remember the, the Tucker brothers back in, in, uh, back in Jersey, their dad died when they were two, and Rob Tucker was only 14 when his mom died. They had to live in the Bagel Inn, work under the table, and make all the bagels in the middle of the night, and um, had a place to wash and a place to sleep. They were orphans, and I've had people, my, my wife, all the suffering that she's gone through. I've gone through a decent amount of suffering, physical pain, suffering in my life, but it was always self-inflicted. You know, it was always something stupid. Tried to bench a little bit too much. Tried to run a little bit too fast and forgot about the fence on the ball field. You know, things like that. But, um, but you know, I've seen people like my wife live a life of suffering and a life of pain. And um, very rarely can I look at somebody, especially people who lost loved ones early in life, very rarely can I look a person in the eye and say, I know what you're going through. And I won't say that. I won't lie. If I don't know, if I didn't experience what you experienced, I'm not going to tell you I know what you're going through, okay? And so sometimes I can't bring you my sufferings and say, look how God conquered those because I haven't suffered very much. But what I do have, I can share with you. I can share with you what God's word says, okay? And, um, you know, I don't know what it's like to be a cocaine addict, and some people won't listen to me because they say, well, you never snorted cocaine. Let me tell you, God, Jesus was not a cocaine addict, but Jesus knows the answer to that problem. In fact, Jesus is the answer to that problem. And um, and so we need to share Jesus with others. Day's going to come. I can tell you. I can tell you. The day's going to come. You trust in Jesus. You dedicate your life to him. You faithfully walk with him day by day. You persevere throughout the decades. And I can tell you when the smoke clears, you know, you might think this planet's not that bad of shape. This planet's going down big time. I think the once the, I think the armed American middle class is the last roadblock to global tyranny. It's gonna be a tyranny that the Hitlers and Stalins never had, because they can watch our every move. No way to get off the grid. It's gonna get demonic. It's already demonic. It's going to get ugly. It's going to get bad. But what I can tell you is when the smoke clears, those 
who trust in the Lord Jesus alone for salvation. I have no more pain, no more suffering, no more sorrow. And, uh, and so what's the New Jerusalem going to look like? It's going to be crazy. Uh, look at verse 9. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls filled with the seven last plagues came to me and talked with me saying, come, I will show you the bride, the lamb's wife. And he carried me away in his spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me the great city, the, the holy Jerusalem descending out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. Her light was like the most precious, uh, most precious stone, like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. Also, she had a great and high wall with 12 gates and 12 angels at, at the gates and names written on them, which are the names of the 12 tribes of the children of Israel. Three gates on the east, three gates on the north, three gates on the south, and three gates on the west. Now, the wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. So you got Jewish believers, Gentile believers, you got the church, you got... It's all there. The people of God inhabit the new Jerusalem, the coming down to earth like a bride. And you talk with me, had a gold reed to measure the city, its gates and its wall. The city is laid out as a square. Its length is as great as its breadth. And he measured the city with the reed, 12,000 furlongs, about 1,500 miles. Its length, its breadth, and height are equal. So it's not just a square, it's a cube, which is what the Holy of Holies is in the temple. Holy of Holies was so holy, the Jewish high priest can only go in there one day a year on Yom Kippur. So even so, the biggest guy in the Jewish religion can only go in there one day a year on the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur. And that's only a type of the real Holy of Holies, the New Jerusalem, that cube coming down. And you might say, wait a minute, if that's what heaven is, if that's what the new heaven is, there's not a whole lot of room because it's only 1,500 miles wide and 1,500 miles long. That's like half the size of the United States of America. Yeah, but it's also 1,500 miles high, okay? And I don't think, I think we're going to have access in and out of there. So I think we could take, you want to take a trip to Jupiter, go for it. You got your immortal body. And, um, but, uh, um, I mean, it's just like in the Marine Corps, you know, I'd get some, some libo, some liberty time, and then you go out on a town or whatever. In heaven, you get some liberty time. What, do you go to another galaxy? I don't know, okay? Um, and so, uh, but it's 1,500 miles high. Then he measured its wall, 140 cubits, 44 cubits, according to the measure of a man, that is, of an angel. I don't know why angels have the same measurements that humans do, but John told us so, so I'm, I'm good with that. The construction of its wall was of jasper, and the city was pure gold, like clear glass. The foundation of the wall of the city was adorned with all kinds of precious stones. The first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the third chalcedony, the fourth emerald, the fifth sardonyx, the sixth sardius, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth, Chrysophrase, the 11th Jacinth, and the 12th Amethyst. And the 12 gates were 12 pearls, and each individual gate was of one pearl, and the street of the city was pure gold, like transparent glass. 
Uh, I mean, the, the, the colors here. Okay, this morning I was getting ready, okay, and my missus, hope she's watching this right now. I love her. I miss her. I love having her sit next to me when I praise the Lord, when I worship the Lord here. But, uh, but this morning uh, she realized that she caught me doing my last little bit on the sermon. Uh, there were some smudges on my glasses. And so she gave me that speech about, you know, you got to clean your glasses. And she went, she got this special cloth that cleaned the glasses and everything. I got to admit, when I put those glasses on, it was like a whole new world was opened up to me, you know? And uh, we've probably all seen those videos of people um, who can't see their colorblind. And then you give them, they get them special glasses for their birthday or whatever, and they put it on. And they take it off and they step back. I've seen big, big former Marine with his USMC cap on, crying like a baby. Seeing all the beauty. That's only planet Earth, okay? So my wife cleans my reading glasses. I actually get to see all the beauty of planet Earth. And that's nothing like the beauty and the colors we're going to see in heaven. Closest thing I could come to for this, okay, when I speak at the Bellevue Conference, Pastor Carl Payne puts the speakers up in a really nice place. And the downstairs at the check-in desk uh, is like a, a community. There's like, there, there, there's like uh, restaurants, bars, there's shops. And stuff. It's all indoors. It's like a big mall down there. But then you look and you can see floor after floor after floor with like plexiglass uh, railings or whatever. But you can see like all the way up and stuff. Now, we've been on a cruise once, thanks, thanks to the Moors, paid for us to go on a, a European cruise out to, to Spain and uh, France and Italy. And on that cruise ship, one of my favorite things was just to go to the bottom floor and then to be able to look up because you could just see all the floors above you. And they got it set up in such a way that, that so, so much stuff is made out of glass or, that you could actually see. And the beauty upon beauty upon beauty. And um, I think that's just a little taste for me that this thing's going to be 1,500 miles high. Okay? Now, is this literal? Is this symbolic language? I don't know. But one thing I do know, I don't see a good reason in the text to deny that it's literal. Now, by the way, outside the gates... Are those in outer darkness where there is pain and suffering, where there is no joy, where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. And um, but uh, so I'm I lean in the direction taking it literal. But I'll just tell you, I'll wait and see. I know whatever way it's gonna be, heaven is going to be beyond. Anything we can imagine. The goodness and the joy that we're going to experience there is going to go beyond anything that we could, that we could imagine. You know, let me just close with a couple things to just say. People are, you know, some of the world's leading scientists, well, some would agree with me on this message, but some of the world's leading scientists would laugh and ridicule. What an idiot. He believes in life after death. 
He believes in the non-material soul. What an uneducated fool, okay? Let me just say, my response to those scientists would be, you need to be more current in your science. Because now we have scientific confirmation for the existence of the non-material soul and life after death. Through brain research, we've been able to prod the human brain and we get people to raise their right hand. Okay? It's like typing something on a keyboard and you get the letters that you want. Okay? And so the scientists expected the people to say, I chose to raise, they asked them what happened. They expected them to say, I chose to raise my right hand, so I raised my right hand. The people don't say that. The people say, you raised my right hand. In fact, sometimes the people get angry. When the right hand starts going up, they grab it with their left hand and they pull it down because humans do not like parts of their body moving involuntarily. I know, I snapped a tendon. I didn't want to bend it, and it kept bending on its own. No matter how many times I put it back, it kept bending. I was on my peripheral vision. I was like, what in the world is going on here? We don't like parts of our body moving involuntarily. In other words, I didn't choose to raise my right hand. You did, and then you acted on my brain, and it made it do that. In other words, the brain doesn't tell you to raise your right hand. That decision is made in the non-material soul, which then acts upon the brain. Also, through near-death experiences, what we find is people who have no brain activity, no detectable brain activity, and no heartbeat, um, who are clinically dead, often come back with eyewitness testimony of details of what's going on in the operating room. Then they also sometimes have eyewitness testimony of what's going on two or three blocks away at that time, uh, eyewitness testimony of an accident or whatever it may be, and these things are being confirmed time and time again. Uh, two of my old professors, J.P. Moreland and Gary Habermas, they wrote uh, Immortality, the Other Side of Death, and I recommend you look into that if you want to look into some of the evidence. But basically, there is strong evidence for the existence of a non-material soul that's where the decisions are being made, acting upon a body. So in other words, it's not just the computer keys that make the com- words appear on the computer. It's the actual person who's typing, and that is the non-material soul. And, um, and then there's historical proof of life after death. All the historical evidence for Jesus of Nazareth's bodily resurrection. We got one guy that we can verify that he came back. And what did he teach us about life after death? And, um, and then very controversial, but I think we actually even have empirical proof, proof that you could test with the five senses of life after death in the Shroud of Turin, that it left the image of uh, Christ on the cloth. We, we do not have the scientific technology to reproduce that. To this day, there's all kinds of guys saying that they've reproduced it. They haven't, believe me. I'm in communication with some of the world's leading scientists who uh, want to retest the shroud. Robert Rucker at a Richland retired nuclear engineer is one that's been, been, I've been at a few of their meetings, but I have no idea what they were talking about. It was so, so above my head. And, um, but I think the shroud of Turin, the, the, the details is very unimpressive to the naked eye. You take a photograph of it, look at the photographic negative, that's where all the details are. And uh, about 85% of what we learned about crucifixion comes from the shroud. And um, so I think we've got strong 
scientific and historical evidence for the existence of a non-material soul and life after death that just confirms what we already knew was true just by studying the Bible. And believe me, if you want evidence that the Bible is God's word, there's plenty of it, okay? Entire books have been written on that. And so we're going to close with Matthew 25, verse 23. Matthew 25, verse 23. Matthew 25, verse 23. His Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. That's what we're looking for. Brothers and sisters, that's what we strive for. Through the power of God, by, not by trusting in ourselves and our own goodness, by trusting in the Lord Jesus for the power to say no to sin, for the power to say yes to God, what we seek is that day when we see our king, King Jesus, face to face, and he looks at us and says, well done, thou good and faithful servant. I had an elderly lady once. I wasn't speaking. It was a graduation. Uh, Pastor Loney was speaking, but he mentioned me a few times, and this elderly lady told me after the sermon, I I've told you this story a lot of times. She said, that's what God's saying to you right now, Dr. Fernandez. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. And I thanked her because she was trying to encourage me. But that's not biblical. If Jesus came back right now, appeared to us in this room, he would not tell us, well done, thou good and faithful servant. You know why? Our job's not done. We woke up. We woke up this morning. Learn. Learn from the examples of the Old Testament saints and even the New Testament saints who blew it. Okay, David was a man after God's own heart. He still fell to the sins of adultery and murder. Okay, um, it's a war. You cling to Jesus, and you trust in Jesus, and you rely on Jesus. You depend upon him moment by moment, day by day. If you're faithful day by day and you persevere throughout the decades, when our king comes back, we'll see him face to face, and he'll say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Put on the full armor of God and go to war, brothers and sisters. We've got to persevere. Let's close with a word of prayer. Father, in Jesus' precious name, we love you, Lord. And we know that we deserve hell. We deserve eternal conscious torment. But you sent your son, the Lord Jesus, God the Son, to become a man, to die on the cross for our sins, to take our punishment for us. Then you raised him from the dead to conquer death, man's greatest enemy, to conquer death for us. And so it's my prayer that we would all acknowledge that we're sinners we cannot save ourselves. We deserve hell. But that we would put our faith and our trust, not in ourselves, not in anyone else, but we would put our faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ because he and he alone is both willing and able to save. And the day will come 
and we will see him face to face and we'll be in heaven with our king forever and ever. All praise, glory, and honor be to the lamb who was slain. The lion of the tribe of Judah, the babe born in the manger, who is the king of kings and the Lord of lords, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Peter, Paul, and John, my God, your God, all glory, honor, and praise be to King Jesus. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. What what is it? Oh, Eric McTaxis. He's going to be where? What? Okay, so Eric McTaxis is going to be at Westgate Chapel tonight at 6? Yeah, it might be probably be standing room only, but if you can make it, that'd be great. The guy's brilliant, even though he's really goofy, but he's brilliant, so. Oh, he's he's a goofball. He's funny. He's got a sense of humor. How you doing, brother?